Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Phileas Club, the show where we get people from around the world to basically say hello to everyone. This is episode number 37 for July 2011. Hello and welcome to the Fides Club. This is episode number, what is it, 37, and it is July 2011, or 2011, as people who know how to speak say it. I am Patrick Beja, your host, and with me today are three wonderful people, one of which just jumped in the call as we were uh, doing the intro. Hello, Tom Can I Merrick. breathe now? <laughs> yes, now you can breathe. Oh, <laughs> I, I told Turkey, stop breathing because you're making noise. <laughs> and he did. So, thank you. Um, that's so, cruel and unusual, Patrick. I'm sorry? <laughs> I said that's cruel and unusual. Not for Turkey. He deserves it. <laughs> oh, so, me? Oh, Turkey, sweet. Come on, I, think, yeah. I deserve it for being 20 minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I might have something even worse in store for you, Merit. <laughs> Um, okay, it's okay, settle down, Turkey, you're fine. So uh, Turkey, of course, everyone knows him, Tom, I'm sure everyone knows him, the third uh, co-host, though, uh, some people might not already know in this audience, Eric is here uh, with um, us, thank you very much for joining. Lose, losing my uh, my virginity on the show here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Wow, this you mean is going to get rated. <laughs> you mean your podcasting virginity, My right? podcasting virginity, of okay, course. Okay, thank you. Thank God. I, this is not... I mean, you know, things like that could be arranged, but it would probably be a different kind of thing. Um, so Eric is a friend from um, from the actual world or, of journalism. And as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that Tom is also a real journalist. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay. So it works from the actual world of journalism as uh, he works at a real news TV news station, uh, France 24. And France no, no one says it's not a real TV station. It is. Yes, it is a real TV station. It actually has cameras and lights and the whole thing. <laughs> so you are so you're you're the guy who's in charge of their uh, internet, web, social stuff, right? All the digital gadgets and sites and mobile apps and platforms, and I also host uh, Tech Twenty Four, which you were very kind to step in my stead, and uh, which is a global technology show, <laughs> kind of tech for the rest of us, particularly in the developing world, where. Paul Van Gath is, uh, is, is most well-known, and so all things digital, basically, at Paul Van Gath. Cool. Excellent. Thank you very much for being here. And I think people might uh, remember me talking about France 24 a few uh, months ago, several times, you know, because it's really a channel I enjoy, and I think it provides a, a different view on the world. Um, can, you know. can, can, you, can you just mention the name in English, please? Well, France 24. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they also I'm have. Sure, so the, I'm sure there's a lot of people who did not know what you were talking about. Possibly, yes, that's true. <laughs> and it's also available in uh, in Arabic, so it's really a, 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 an effort to try and uh, basically uh, push propaganda, French propaganda in the well, world everywhere. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's, a, it's French perspectives on the world rather than French propaganda. What's and the it's name in Arabic? And uh, well, you're going to stump me on that one, but it is uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's in French, English, and in Arabic. And in Arabic, it said uh, whatever France is in Arabic and 24 in Arabic. So yeah. Yeah. if you care, you probably already know. Yep, it's France at 24. Oh, well, there you go. I, I didn't <laughs> see. I'm, I'm so used to having you in my life, Turkey. Although, you know, I was born in Lebanon, so I should probably know at least that. But, uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so first of all, two things I need to say before we actually start the show. First of all, uh, very sorry to everyone for... Uh, not uh, doing a show last month. It just, uh, happened. It just, we didn't have, uh, time and we actually planned something, but then things didn't work out. <laughs> I so, didn't show up to that one at all. So you, you, you weren't the only <laughs> you one. You can blame me. That's fine. <laughs> I could, but it would be, it wouldn't be accurate. Uh, we could, we can also blame other people that I'm not going to name. Um, so yeah. And also yeah. to be, to be fair, I was in the middle of a, a a whole lot of stuff. Uh, so basically, yeah, very sorry for not being there, but we are here now. And yeah, and I told you in advance I won't make it. Stop. You did. Nobody you did, think did. I was one of the people who skipped. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> well, you skipped, but you told me in advance, not yes. at the last second. I'm hearing a, an echo of myself, so um, it's a little bit weird. Oh, now it's gone. And the other thing is, uh, the other thing I want to say is uh, something, another very important thing for me uh, that happened in the past month is that I got engaged. Yay! So, <laughs> congratulations, congratulations, dude. Wow. You guys aren't... aren't Muzzle uh, tough. You, everyone's, uh, everyone here has, has already told me uh, uh, congratulations several times. So that's why they, they are not really managing to muster up the enthusiasm of the first initial. All right, let me something. What took you so long? <laughs> oh, my God, that's great, Patrick. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. See, there you go. Now you sound, you sound American. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's really something, uh, obviously a, a huge news. I, I'm, I, for me, um, I think most people who listen to this show probably, um, follow me on, on various social networks and I've been inundating them with the news because I'm so excited and happy. So it's probably not a huge news for, for these people, but, um, I wanted to, to talk about this for just a second and all three of you guys are married, right? Yes. Yes. And Turkey, I know he is, and he's not answering, but yes. I'm not answering, dude, because okay. I am married. Everybody of knows course. I'm of married. I've been, I've been all so, over the show talking about it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but so what I wanted to talk about was something that happened when I, I announced that I, uh, that I got engaged, which basically in my world, in my um, – uh, I, I was going to say – yeah, okay. In my single world, in my world of single people, marriage was always described as something kind of, um, you know, of course you're going to do it and you love the person and everything, but there's also the sentiment of you give up a little bit of your, your life and there's the bull and chain sentiment. And then single people, it's always a jungle out there and... Uh, it's it's difficult to find the person you really like, and the girls are are clingy and annoying, and the guys are are 
pigs and and dirty and they care only about sports and you know all of that world was sort of my what i knew about relationships and of course you had people who would find somebody they love but they were the very few lucky ones and then you would get married but there was joy but also a lot of a, a lot of uh, things you had to give up basically and all of a sudden when i announced i was getting engaged the world sort of switched it was like someone turned on a different light or something and everyone around me is incredibly happy and people are sending me messages about how you know i've been married for 20 years it's the best feeling in the world and it's amazing and i love it and you're going to be so happy and blah 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 and it, it's sort of really weird that it got switched so much is it my rose colored glasses that i've put on or is there some kind of a an actual different world for people who are single and people who aren't or what is happening there do you have any insight from the height of your marriage uh all of you it's probably evolutionary you know the uh the species needs to procreate so when you get <laughs> when you get married it's just built into our genes to encourage that <laughs> Well, it's interesting that in, – in, are these French people that were telling you this or non-French people? Because you know in France over half the population isn't married. People get paxed here. They get civil unions. They do all these things. But marriage itself is actually a declining trend in France mm. um, and in a lot of Europe. So I'd be – I'm kind of surprised. I think Americans might respond that way. But I'd be um, surprised if, if French people responded with, with the same level of enthusiasm considering how many people here choose not to get married. To be honest, um, it, it, it was pretty much – Everyone from uh, not everyone, but from everywhere, it was just incredibly positive, happy feelings everywhere. You know, no. I, I, it's not like someone is is getting engaged. It's not like you're going to be, yeah, well, welcome to prison, dude. I, maybe a couple of people said that in jest, <coughs> but uh, I understand that obviously you're not going to rain on their parade. But um, I don't know. It was a strange shift. It, it it doesn't seem to be very inspiring to you guys. Well, I think maybe you answered your question right there. It's one of those big moments in life that, you know, like graduating from school or, or you know, moving into your first house and uh, you know, things like that you know, where, where people are just like, oh, this is a big moment. I'm not, I'm not going to rain on your parade. I'm going <laughs> to congratulate you. Yeah. So maybe um, when... Uh, and how many of those who were married that told you married was a bad idea? Um, there were a couple... Back? A couple of people who were who were you know saying it with smileys and stuff, but uh, yeah. no, overall it was overwhelmingly positive. And maybe you know, so maybe um, it's going to be to be. I, I'm going to get down from my high in a, in a few weeks, and uh, then I will realize that it's you know like everything. You have to work at stuff, and sometimes it's hard, and some. But um, I don't know. It's it it's feels, a lot of work, Patrick. It is a lot of work, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun if you have the right person. So. Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty and, sure. And, and you should you should always know the wife or the fiance is always right. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. That's Uh-oh. gonna be <laughs> that's, that's not an option, Patrick. That's the law. <laughs> Lesson number one. <laughs> see, but you know, that's the that's one of the things that I, I don't want to believe in. I don't want to that's exactly the kind of thing I was kind of talking about. You know, it's like this. Ah, uh, you have to always agree with what she says about this and say goodbye to your, you know, uh, 
evenings with your friends doing this and that and there's well, a but Patrick that's not necessary it depends on the woman you're married mm, yeah. yeah I think it, it all comes down to her for example my wife I still have my two cigar nights we have an agreement she goes out with her friends I go to my cigars every yeah. twice a week yeah, yeah. so it all my, comes my, down my... to your wife Totally. My my wife goes out and does things on on her own, and I go think do things on our own, and it's you know it's it's net that's never been an issue. But the thing about you know the, the other person is always right. I think that is a joke based in the fact that you're going to have arguments, and you need to learn how to kind of grant the other person the 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 win in the argument, even when you don't think they're winning because otherwise you're just going to to descend into constant bickering and that's that's no fun for anyone yeah yeah i can see that and and obviously i think but, but that's a different yeah it's a different f- thing from they're always right but i see how that would translate into yeah i i agree I agree. Okay. Um, well, so yeah, that was that was the big news for me. And uh, now let's talk about what's been happening in the world, if you will. And um, what shall we talk about first? I guess the the biggest news in the past week or so we have to address is the horrible uh, attacks in in Norway, which have been making uh, the headlines everywhere. I'm sure around the world. Oh, and by the way, sorry. Before we get into that, I completely forgot to tell uh, about Eric's background. Uh, beyond France 24, he's also uh, you're also a very um, uh, You're a specialist in Chinese affairs, right? Uh, yeah, Chinese and lived over there for 10 years working for the AP, the alphabet soup of networks, AP, CNN, BBC, CNBC, uh, and then kind of turned a lot of attention to China and Africa, and that's what I tweet on mostly now. And so that's the uh, the kind of mix, right. is, you know, 20 years of journalism kind of in, in Asia and the US and, and now in Europe. So hopefully you can uh, provide something that we've been lacking in this show, which is uh, uh, an outlook somewhat based in uh, China and to sure. an extent in, uh, from Africa. Absolutely. Um, right. So let's move on to uh, the attacks in Norway. So I'm not even going to go into what actually happened. I think I'm pretty sure everyone knows. Um, yeah, but I, w- I have to emphasize one thing first. Okay. He definitely was not an Arab. He was not a Muslim. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, and that brings up one. Of, I mean, let's start off with the most kind of contentious point of all of what happened is that on Friday this was a terrorist incident last Friday, and yeah. as soon as we found out that he was, you know, a white and you know a Christian fundamentalist and and a Norwegian, it turned into an attack, and the word terrorism was dropped. And so one of the things that's been on our, you know, social across all of our social networks is a huge debate, particularly from the Islamic world. Uh, you know, in Europe and in, in the Middle East, saying, you know, this is complete BS on the part of the media that they changed their narrative. The Guardian then came out with a really high-profile editorial and just blasted the mainstream media for, you know, all that speculation that was blatantly false. And isn't it uh, possible that he would be sentenced under some sort of anti-terrorism law that was recently passed that would allow them to keep him in jail longer than normal law would allow? It, it, what's interesting is they don't even have the vocabulary in their legal system to put this guy away long enough. So they're actually, as you said, they're they're pulling together, you know, to, to try to throw as many charges at him as possible to put him in jail for a long time, just because the Norwegians just don't have precedent for any of this. Yeah, they actually, have to. I heard, cut, the, the, I, heard, I heard there is a law that where they can put him for life, but that can be extended after the uh, which is twenty four years. 
Yeah, that's the well, that's the one I was thinking about. Well, it, it, there's a anti. It, it was referred to in the article I read as an anti-terrorism law, but maybe that's not what it's actually called. No, it, it, it is called an anti-terrorism law, which is again going back to the irony of how the media changed its vocabulary at U.S. Yeah, exactly. Yet at the same time, he's being tried under terrorism. Was this an act of terrorism? Of course. Well, it was. Eric, you're you're you know in the media, in the real media, so maybe you can and and you're denouncing this specifically. So let's ask you, what is it? It, it, how is that not an act of terrorism? It is an act of terrorism, and this was the real problem that we had in our social media presence on France 24, and then we had on, our, on the broadcast and the, the news side. So on the TV side, they changed their language from but, okay, but to So you know, you know these guys. Why, what? Because I'm, I don't want to be completely you know, <coughs> thinking they necessarily had evil intents in, no. in you know, a, a political agenda, but why in their minds did this switch from is it because just you know terrorism is now so strongly associated with islam you know uh, muslim fundamentalists or well in part when you're writing text in very very short blurbs whether it's a, a headline for tv or on a tweet or on you know in a package of a story that's two minutes long you have to use as efficient language as possible. And what they did, and a lot of that language oftentimes is driven by the agencies. That's Reuters, AP, AFP. And, and what ends up happening is there's just this kind of leitmotif that changes. And people, you know, they felt that using the word terrorism implies Islam, it implies Muslim, it implies foreign, it implies someone other than a domestic mm. threat. Now, in the United States, we went through this. Uh, after Timothy McVeigh, you know, that was the first that we introduced this idea of domestic terrorism, because prior to that, we didn't really call anything that happened on U.S. soil domestic terrorism. That started to change. Well, that hasn't happened here yet. And I think in the rest of the media, uh, it's caused a lot of consternation, because as soon as we made that change, our Facebook page lit up with, wait, whoa, 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 how can you guys be saying this now when you were saying this yesterday? And mm. I came out on Facebook as, as the moderator of our English language Facebook community and said, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I think that level of humility on the part of a big global network kind of surprised a lot of people because they would criticize us. And I said, you were not above that reproach. Mm. It's Okay, to take the other side of the um, of the debate here, I sort of, even, you know, when I... When I, I just think about it for a second, it sort of fits a little bit. Terrorism, you know, if you have a se separ uh, separatist, is that the right yeah. way to say it? Yeah. Se uh, separatist, separatist uh, um, faction, you know, the, like the Basques or something. Or, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. And and they go and, and uh, bomb something. Or the Corsicans, you know, uh, fundamentalists. I don't, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm not sure they co we call them terrorists, do we? I'm, I'm not even sure. No, I, certainly in France they don't. Um, yeah, see, so well, it, it, there is, it fits into a certain idea. Terrorism is when you, you know, hijack a plane or, I don't know. The, the, well, the, I, I feel that there is somewhat of a justification behind the, that, that uh, change of narrative. Well, Maybe I'm wrong. Here's but. what the standard that I kind of threw out to people was in our newsroom was, If the same act was done by a, a, a man born in Egypt who immigrated mm. to Norway and committed the same act, would you use the same language to define what he did? And everybody said no. Yeah. Everybody said at that point it becomes a terrorist act. And that's sure. where I said that's the hypocrisy. Hmm. Turkey, what's, how did uh, Saudi Arabia, and maybe if you know what uh, – 
the the Arab world in general um, receive the, the that horrible news. You you sort of hinted at you know in jest uh, earlier in the show that uh, he's not an Arab. Was that the way people received it? Um, yeah, because the initial media was saying, and since most uh, Arabic media reports using Reuters or AP, Associated Press, and so on, they would cover whatever they say, and they used the suspected the analysis suspected that he's a Muslim. Mm. And it was a huge relief when everybody finally saw who it was. Well, and when I'm saying huge relief, it does, it's not that they were happy that something happened, of course. It's just that finally nobody's going to uh, accuse them of, of it. It's, uh, it's just a circle that's been killing everybody, that every terrorist act is automatically a Muslim terrorist or an no. Arab terrorist or something like that. And uh, I think, have you seen the Daily Show, John Stewart, comment on it about Fox News? No, I haven't seen that one. Okay, this one is hilarious. He was uh, O'Reilly. He's looking at him. And this guy is coming out and defending and saying, we should not blame Christianity for this. This guy does not represent Christians. He's not a Christian (laughs) because he did not go to a church or anything like that. And then he brings another clip where about the... Uh, the terrorist attack in the in the army of uh, some months a uh, year ago, I think, or something, where a soldier killed some people in the U.S. and 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 then he brings in, he says, "Yeah, this is a representation and how it's a huge terrorist uh, religion." And they tell him, "What's the proof? He's not, he doesn't go to the mosque. He doesn't." He said he he calls himself soldier of Allah, so he he represents mm. Islam. Yeah. So, so well, it's like uh, communism used to mean Russians, even though there are plenty of yeah. non-Russian communists. It, it's a shortcut. Terrorism yeah. Yeah. has yeah. been uh, – we started using terrorism as a shortcut. My, my question is – and I, I absolutely agree with you guys that it, it, it was wrong to jump to the conclusion that this guy's a terrorist when you think he's Islamic and then change your mind when he's not. But have we found if he was acting as part of an organization? Because to me – I think he may just be a madman, not actually part of a terrorist organization of any kind. And that, that does – there is some accuracy involved in determining whether he's actually a terrorist or not. What the latest is is that he as, – as we've heard from the, the Norwegian government is that he in fact is a, is a lone psychopath. And, and that he's made allegations that he's got other cells around town. They've looked into it. They have yet to find any proof that he's got any other cells around, around Oslo and whatnot. So it's looking more and more like this guy was a sociopath from a very disturbed, broken family, uh, had a very uh, harsh upbringing, and, and had these kind of delusions of, of grandeur that oftentimes exist on, on extremes, both on the far left and the far right. Tom, how yeah, did it... Also, oh, also, we have to look at the word terrorism. Where does it come from? It comes from the word terror. Terror, which does not have anything to do with an organization. It's about someone who goes and deliberately does something to frighten people and make their life scary. And that's exactly well, what he did. That's his are serial, are his serial killers terrorists? No, because they don't go and looking to scare people. They go because they enjoy the killing itself. It's not, they don't have an yeah, concept. Well, but, okay, so I, I, is, I is get anonymous your point, or Turkey, terrorists? I mean, they're scaring no. people. Yeah, but the, so I think that the, 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 to an extent, anonymous could be described as, you know, 
you know, civ civil disobedience, which is not far from terrorism, if you ask certain people. But the terrorism, I think, implies more than just scaring people. It implies that you have a political agenda to push, and the way that you're going to try and impose it is by, you know, killing and terrorizing Well, uh, he has a political agenda, and his agenda was That's true. to let let his opinion, his views come out in public, and suddenly he got the attention he wanted. He right. specifically and did that because he wanted that attention for his manifesto. And in that case, a serial killer is not usually not a terrorist because they don't have an agenda other than, and in some cases, definitely frightening people. The astrological killer in uh, uh, the, the Zodiac, Zodiac killer, killer in, in San Francisco had an agenda of frightening people. He didn't really have a political agenda. On the other hand, the Unabomber is, fits the definition of a terrorist because he did have a message well, and, a, and a political yeah, agenda. Yeah, the Unabomber, yeah, exactly in my opinion, again, is a terrorist. Uh, again, yeah. yes and no, because in, if we're sort of, uh, you know, splitting hairs here, but he is, it's important to, to, to attribute that word of terrorism, which is in, in question. Um, he is... He wanted to, in his deranged mind, he wanted to do something that would shock the opinion so that his message would be received. But he's not saying, I will kill people and keep, keep killing people until I get what I want. And I think yeah, terrorism it, it, no, is that. But, but he does not want to do it because he's gonna, he knows he's going to end up in jail. He got his message out. But he is calling for others to okay. do his job for him. If you read his entire manifesto, you'll find that's what he's calling for, a okay, war. So in that case, I would have to say, yeah. killing and yeah. keep on doing that. So, okay. so then I think he does fit the definition. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. What's and so as, as, as Eric just said, we just have the concept. Let's say this is one Arab guy or one Muslim who has mm. not connections to any other religious authority who's just pissed off and decides to go and do it. Would yeah. the media still call him terrorist or yeah, not? Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely. Right. You're There's right. no doubt. What's been yeah, so and I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Eric. No, what's been so interesting this week is to hear the, the Norwegian prime minister coming out and really making what, what I'm interpreting as very subtle digs at the United States and how the U.S. changed. Oh, it wasn't subtle at all. It was well, very clear. It, I, I think. You know, I'm being a little bit polite here, but, yeah. it, it, <laughs> no. it, you know, kind of how the United States, you know, effectively lost its mind after 9-11 and upset so many of our constitutional protections. You know, we, we gutted the Fourth Amendment on search and seizure in many respects. And, uh, you know, and they, they've said we're not going to change our way of life. We're not going to, uh, you know, go into this hyper mode, you know, anti-terrorism mode. And the war on terror is not coming to Oslo. And I thought that was a very interesting reaction and, and kind yeah, of a subtle and the criticism. Only, and the only solution is more democracy. And the only solution is more democracy. And it's, it's yeah. not to go into a closed society, into a society of fear. And, and I think that, is easier, that is easier to say when you are dealing with a confirmed solo madman yeah, than exactly. an entire organization. It's exactly. still the right thing to do. Fair yeah. enough. But bear in mind, the Norwegians are involved in the Libya operation. They have troops on the ground in Afghanistan. This is, they are very much engaged in global operations operations you know involving the muslim world and, they are and no, and, I think, and also also if you actually do talk to people who live in norway or people who live in any of the, the countries up there in finland or sweden or so on they have a lot of people who are like that guy and they are now worried like crazy about are. these people yeah because yeah. they they exist there there's a lot of them it's, it's not that he's one of uh, one of 10 or 20, they might be a minority, but there are a big minority who live well, between all of these people. Yeah, I, I don't think everyone is going to get up all of a sudden and start, you know, rampage, killing 
hundreds of people, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, how, and, uh, no, but I, I get your point, Turkey. I, I, I agree. Uh, Tom, we didn't really talk about how the the U.S. received this news. I, I'm sure you know you have other fish to fry with the uh, the, the issue of the sealing of the debt, but um, certainly it, it didn't go unnoticed. I hate it when you ask me these questions, Patrick, because, you know, where I get my news is BBC, <laughs> The Economist. <laughs> I don't watch television news. No, but you go to work, you, you talk to your friends, you, you know. Uh, well, and ba based on that, it was it was a minor blip on the radar. I did not hear people discussing it. I, I, I was actually down in San Diego. We were covering Comic-Con. Uh, I saw it on the front page of the Wall Street Journal in the hotel lobby. Um, picked it up, and that's actually where I where I did first read about it. Just the facts of of what happened uh, on that on that first day, and I didn't hear anyone discussing it. Hmm. That's that's interesting because to us, I mean, Eric was mentioning the the fact that the prime minister didn't you know specifically said we're not going to change our way of life, and that was part of the of the the way we we discussed it in the days after the event and it was a very clear um message about not about the united states but i thought that maybe um the the us would have picked up on that and uh and i'm sure i'm sure in certain quarters it absolutely was picked up on i i just yeah no but it, it, you know it, will, it it always tells me something about the the way it's uh things are discussed in the US when you don't really uh hear about them or or hear specific details because you're one of the more informed people and one of the more you know uh, uh interested people in international affairs so i guess that doesn't mean that, my friends are <laughs> yeah, but trust me, had there been a cute blonde woman from Kansas who was shot and killed in that, you know, oh, yeah. the incident, then you would have had it wall to wall coverage. But it's very, sure. very difficult for a pure international story that's unrelated to anything American to break into the American news narrative, especially when you've got a story like the debt ceiling, which is just kind of sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Well, and that is something that I did hear people not really discussing, but joking about. You know, at least it was a topic that was kicked around. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about that, because actually, um, in France, at least, I'm, I'm guessing quite, you know, everywhere around the world, that's been a very discussed, very much discussed topic. And uh, the, the, the issue of the... <clears throat> of the debt in itself, as well of the issue of uh, the the you know the two parties not being able to meet and and uh, compromise. There, the, I guess in France it's discussed in two ways. As I was saying, the de the, the issue of the debt itself, and if um, the U.S. don't manage to uh, find a compromise and raise the ceiling the consequences for the U.S. and the, the consequences for the rest of the world because it would, uh, you know, bring higher... Oh, Eric is making noises. No. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I'm not. <laughs> a little bit. Um, it's, it, it, and it would bring, you know, uh, higher... Um, uh, ah, God, I'm losing my, the, the words. Tax. What happens when you get engaged? <laughs> the, 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 we're loan, definitely uh, going to be screwed if that happens. Yeah, exactly. We're, Basically, we're, yeah. let's we're, let's we're sum pegged, it up. We're pegged. We're pegged to the dollar. Exactly. Dollar goes down, we go down with it. So that is one of the the ways we're discussing it, and the other one is um, sort of 
trying to present it as uh, objectively as possible and trying to show that Obama is in a bit of a political move, but also as the president trying to rise above and tell everyone, okay, children, now sit, you know, sit down and agree on something. And also, it seems to me, and again, a lot of people tell me, say that often, but it seems to me that the Republicans are the ones who are sort of uh, blocking the situation. And it might be because as I'm saying, I'm in more of a uh, liberal left-wing uh, uh, environment. So well, it depends. It depends. They both are blocking it, but each is blocking it for a different reason. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing I'm sort of asking about um, to our two uh, U.S. representatives. Uh, is that an actu- accurate, uh, a fair description, or is it actually just as bad as for one side and or and the uh, as the other? And talking to Tom, you have an incredibly annoying way of being objective about things, and you you try to present things as factual as possible all the time to the point that I'm like, come on, put That's a little bit so of... so annoying. Yeah, it's so... so I I'm guessing If you... If whatever <laughs> you say, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, uh, trust. But uh, yeah, whoever wants to go first. No one. <laughs> Wait, what? Tom, Tom, you go. Um, okay. Yeah, well, I, I do think that the Republicans are probably getting tarred a little more as being the, the party that's blocking simply because they control the majority in the House. And so it's seen as they could push something through if they wanted to, uh, but they're, they're sort of dragging their heels. But at the same time, the Democrats aren't compromising as, as much as they would like to. As, as the Republicans would like to. So the general sense in the, in the United States is not to point fingers at one party or another, but to say they're all a bunch of idiots. Why are they doing this? It's a political mm. football. They could work it out this second if they really wanted to. They're trying to gain points and make the other side look irresponsible. The Democrats really? are trying is to make it- the... Rep- that's the mood, is that the Democrats okay. are trying to make the Republicans uh, look like they'll drag the country down for their ideology, and the Republicans are trying to make the Democrats look the same, like they'll drag the country down for their ideology. The Republicans' ideology is, of course, uh, reducing spending and, and, but not increasing any revenues, and the Democrats is, is the opposite. Uh, and, and the president actually, I think, is, is coming off a little better than I expected in this, uh, in the attempt to rise above and I don't think either party is, is really getting the political points that they, that they want to get uh, in the upcoming election. And, and the reason we don't have an agreement on this is because of that there is an election coming up mm. next year. Is it and completely there, – there's a certainty that this is just political game? There is no way that they could – there's no way that this is actually people standing up, standing up for their ideals? Well, the fact that John Boehner had to delay the vote because of Tea Party members shows that there is a little bit of of ideological guts going on uh, where people are, are, are sort of inflexibly sticking uh, to to their ideology against the good of the country. I mean, no one really disagrees that the ceiling has to be raised. 
It's just a, it's a fact of life, and you can blame whoever you want. The Republicans are trying to make it look like the Democrats have been irresponsible, and we sh- we shouldn't encourage it by raising the ceiling. But but then you send the country into default to punish the Democrats. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. Uh, so what they want to do is is force a point and make the Democrats reduce that spending finally. And the fact of the matter is no, that's not going to happen. The Republicans won't even let it happen. They won't want that amount of spending to come down and balance the budget this time it's just not it's just not possible uh so it's all about principle it's all about making your point uh and and i think they will come to an agreement everybody thinks they will come to agreement Mm. but because of those ideological people that are unwilling to compromise within their own party there's a chance that it might not get done Uh, before sorry eric before i i move the the bowl to you um Oh, crap. I lost my point. Okay, you go, Eric. Well, there are a couple big disconnects that are happening here. First of all, the national polling is all saying that people want to compromise. If you look at all the the major polls that have come out in the past two weeks, the problem is, is that representatives both in the Senate and the House don't work for national constituencies. They have local constituencies. Their local polling is oftentimes far more extreme, in part that's because unlike here in France, unlike in Europe, where uh, the districts that members of parliament represent are, are are not defined purely on politics. In the United States, they've been what they call gerrymandered. So what you have end up having is you have these districts that are extremely conservative in many, in many respects and also just very, very partisan. So those politicians are responding to those local districts. Secondly, the biggest issue here is the fact that fundamentally Americans want a government that they can't afford and they're not willing to pay for. That is the biggest disconnect. So you'll hear people Mm. talk about, we want to control the debt, we want to control spending, but you can't touch the military, you can't touch Social Security, and you can't touch Medicare. Well, that's about 75% of all the budget right there is entitlements. So, So that's the biggest disconnect. The problem is, though, and this is what's not being included in the U.S. debate at all, is the implications overseas. The Chinese have been sending very, very clear messages as owners of $1.16 trillion of our debt that they're going to be really pissed off if this goes south. Now, already on Tuesday, we're expecting Moody's and Standard & Poor's to take us down from a AAA to a AA. And the consequence of that is now, all of a sudden, the debt just got more expensive to finance. And so my two-year-old son, who's going to be an American taxpayer one day, um, is going to be paying into this debt even more because now the interest rates are going to go up as of next Tuesday. Yeah, this is this is the oh, it's already happened basically. Uh, the the, well, the screwing up of the of the country. Yeah, sorry, I mean the the downgrade hasn't come yet, but already, and that's a feeling that we have in France. The the trust in the U.S. the financial trust has been degraded and has been you know uh, hurt by this circus that's, uh, that, well, that's being played. Let me give you an example of this. Last week, Hillary Clinton was out at the ASEAN summit. And imagine, you know, Hillary has been the embodiment of the, what's called the Washington Consensus, which is the IMF-backed kind of view of the world, of, you know, having very, very, you know, conservative types of governments, <clears throat> austerity measures that are very tough to swallow for the Greeks, which I know we're going to talk about later on. So she goes all over the world saying, you guys have to get your act together. And that's the Washington Consensus. Well, now what's happening is that you're starting to hear from governments going, what do you, you have no right to preach to us. Look at the mess you guys have. Now, Hillary says, ah, that's just democracy and it's messy and that's just the way we have it. The fact of the matter is, is that the legitimacy of the United States on economic matters is starting to mirror now the legitimacy on the, of the United States on security and political matters, which is falling precipitously. Americans, for the most part, have no clue about the low regard with which they're held around the world. 
The new well, I, I disagree with that. I think they have a clue. I think they don't care. Uh, yeah, there, there, there's, there's of sort of like whenever that comes up, uh, usually the thing is like, well, what do we care what the rest of the world thinks of us? We're going to do what's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, it's a, I agree. It's, well, a little, it's definitely a little bit of both. Uh, we just saw a poll this week come out of Cairo that in Egypt, you know, a, approval of the United States went from an historic low of 30 percent now down to 5 percent. That has real consequences on the ground when you're trying to implement policy. And when you're trying to actually get things done and when you're trying to actually build coalitions in order to have favorable trade agreements, favorable security arrangements, all of that matters. So that nativist reaction that, Tom, you mentioned is absolutely true. Most people say, I don't care what the rest of the world thinks, but they have no idea what the consequences of what that means. And that means that the United States is no longer going to be the superpower that it has the influence that it's had for the past 50 years. You know, to an extent, even on my very... Uh very modest level. Um, one of the reactions I, I found myself having this morning when I woke up, I was thinking about this, and you, you guys know I love the U.S. I, I go there, you know, uh, several times a year. I, a, lot, a lot of my, the best of my friends are in the U.S. I don't need to make a case, you know, for the fact that I love the U.S. But what I thought was. I heard these people chanting, uh, we're number one, we're number one. And I, seeing that thing happening, it, it was like, you're number one in what? Sure, there are some things that you guys do extremely well, but look at yourselves, you know? Self-confidence. Americans are number one in self-confidence. I guess, there which is go. good, which is good. But, yeah, it's... it's And and the 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 country is made up of its people and it's not true that i think there is a feeling of the, well it's the, these guys in washington and jeff jarvis has that whole you know campaign started about fuck washington with the hashtag and all that and yes i'm sure it is the pol the, the politicians who are doing this but the the, the the political world is made up of the the fabric of the country and in france we have you know People who think they can get, you know, who get away with cheating the, 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 the authorities a little bit with not paying this tax or not doing that. And, and it shows, you know, that we have a certain kind of political, uh, uh, people of, of political, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, not managers, uh, personalities. And they do, you know, you have a scandal every now and then. They do try to get away with this and that. And we, we let it go. So, what I'm trying to say is it's not just that Washington is one way. It is a reflection of some measure of what the country is. And I and think that's what uh, what Eric was pointing out when he talked about the gerrymandering is if you look at the national polls, the United States is actually fairly moderate and fairly mm. reasonable uh, on the whole with with some exceptions. But on the whole, they, they want what is what is certainly reasonable but the extremes are in charge and that's perfectly true in the state of california where i live and it's reflected on the national scale as well because politicians have been so good at gaming the system over the past mm. several decades to put their own people in charge that now a moderate has a much harder job of winning a congressional seat. Moderates mm. are only good at winning presidential seats, and even then, they have to be a little extreme in the primaries to get to that final election. Yeah. And talking about extremes, um, 
when you're saying that the, there is some I- ideological uh, aspect to this fight, which I'm sure there is, uh, one thing that comes to mind is the, the fact that um, the spending was raised, raised a lot more under the Bush administration uh, than under the Obama administration. So I'm sort of... Patrick, let me just kind of this sure, is this is you saying there's some ideological. This is purely ideological. This is a yeah, political fight. Mitch McConnell, the the Senate uh, Republican leader, came out and said this is about making sure Obama does not have a second term. There is there there the Republicans are not subtle about this. This is all about now here's the thing. You said that you know there was some idea of who's going to kind of get the blame will the Republicans get the blame? At the end of the day, the president is accountable for the performance of the economy in good times and bad. Uh, Clinton benefited from this huge boom, and he won a second term on that. The downgrade on Tuesday will be fodder for the Republican political ads. And the political ads next year are going to say, who was overseeing our economy when we got downgraded? No mm. one's going to care why. Okay. That, so, so at the end of the day, this is what it's about. It's making sure Obama does not have a second term. So this makes it sound like the Republicans are sort of blocking it. Uh, it's a system in Washington that is built on extremes, as Tom said, and the, you know, Obama has desperately tried to be in the middle, which is not effective. Uh, you know, I mean, John Stewart last this week was saying, you know, he, he gets on national television to, to appeal to people to call his congressman because he's saying, I can't do anything. You do something, you know, mm. appealing to people to do it. Because at the end of the day, it's looking more and more that Obama's impotent in this in this fight. He can't, you know, and, and Boehner as well is impotent because of his extremes are pulling him in the different direction. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to have a default on on Tuesday. We're, well, it's not really a default. It's going to be just not being able to pay our bills because truly we are going to pay our bondholders, which is the ultimate definition of a default. And so we are going to pay the bondholders on Tuesday. Turkey, you're being very silent. Uh, there's not much I can say about it. I think they covered most of it. Yeah, they did. But uh, I, I'd be really curious to hear about, you know, the view on – because obviously, you know, Saudi Arabia is a very – Um, strong partner of the U.S. And even though, you know, sometimes when we're having difficulties related to, you know, energy and, and oil and things like that, you're half laughing because you're like, yeah, buy more oil. In this case, we're having difficulty, and I'm sure the, the Saudis are, are very concerned also, as you were saying, about the Um, the consequences in the world economy is is that well, Saudi Saudi is going to be really hurt really bad if the dollar ever drops any any lower because that's what we're connected to everything here is going up in prices the government is doing a lot of efforts trying to control the price hikes that are keeping happening every single day it's uh, so you're already feeling the consequences of the we, we, uh, since the crisis since the dollar has been starting falling oh, okay. and this is and this is only increasing the pressure on the dollar and it's increasing the pressure on us so individuals here are hurting everybody is pissed off at, at what's going on and uh, while they're pissed off at the americas they're also pissed off at our authorities like the central bank or the ministry of finance But there's a huge demand right now that uh, we should be uh, disconnect ourselves from the dollar and go uh, independent or something because this dollar is really killing everybody here. So there is this is really affecting everybody and everybody's keeping track. And I think the 
people just do enjoy having a laugh also in, in Saudi and the Arab world. And you'll find that also most noticeable in Egypt. People like to make jokes whenever there's a crisis. Hmm. And I think people are just enjoying the fact that Apple has more cash than the U.S. government <laughs> at the moment. So that's I've been I heard people talking about it all day today. Really? The one, yeah. Wow. So Is, that's the number one news today about the U.S. problem. Um, to to conclude on that topic, uh, how is the mood every day in the U.S., Tom? Is it like because this is actually a very we're sort of talking seriously and then joking a little bit about it, but it's, it's a very serious crisis, and I understand that most people probably think it's going to be resolved ultimately because they're going to find an agreement. But it, are people a little bit more somber? Are they concerned or? Uh Well, I mean, you know, I always want to preface this stuff that I only know the mood of mostly course. of the technology community in the Bay Area, not not of the entire country. Although my sister was visiting from Illinois, so I got a little sense of what they're thinking about it. And most people shake their heads, uh, blame the politicians, assume that there will be a deal worked out, and uh, and that things are already kind of so messed up that, you know, it's it's what's to be expected that nothing works these days uh and it's and it's going to take a while to pull out of it but we've been through this before i get a little sense of oh well this happened in the 90s and this is you know this is the theater of politics and it, you know it's a shame and it's awful and i and i you know i hope the government go, doesn't go broke but uh the last time the government shut down um you know the world didn't end so you know, We'll, we'll see what happens is is kind of kind of the mood and and it's mostly uh it's mostly joking it's you know it's mostly uh, talking about the fact that you know oh they they their government's going to go broke and and apple has more money than than the united states government and, and things like that that was a big topic here as well and uh i guess the the ultimate irony is this uh, in in all this is that ultimately when they are going to find an agreement and to vote uh, the raising of the ceiling It's still raising the freaking ceiling so that you can owe more money to other people. And the situation is still absolutely terrible. So it's, I don't know, I guess we're, we're sort of all going to be happy that, that uh, the Washington managed to get their act together and, and find an agreement. But it's not a happy thing they're, they're doing. You know, it's not like we're raising the ceiling. Everything is going to be fine. It, it's quite the opposite, actually. It's just a, a lesser of two evil. Uh, of two evils, I guess. But generally, generally, when the economy is good, governments, uh, you know, lower their debts and start to move more towards balanced budgets. And when the economy is bad, they they have to spend themselves into debt. That's true on city levels, county levels, state levels, and country levels. And and that's no different. So you know, there's there's certainly an argument to be had about whether we've spent more than we actually needed to. But I I don't think any economist would legitimately say that the government should not have been spending to get themselves out of the recession. It's just a matter of what level it should have been spending. Sure, sure. Well, talking about uh, getting ourselves out of recessions and other unpleasant situations, uh, that's a perfect transition to talk about Greece and even Spain, uh, which have been making the rounds in uh, in Europe, at least in France, in, in the past few weeks, because yet again, um, Greece is in uh, deep trouble and Spain is even um, calling early elections because they're not 
sure about their their situation and they want to strengthen the political climate uh, for the a little bit early to make sure they can handle um, their economic situation. Eric, maybe you can you can describe things a little bit better than uh, than I would. Well, the only solace that Americans should have is that Europe is more screwed in many ways than than <laughs> the U.S. is. In fact, that's been the saving grace of the U.S. because had Europe been strong, uh, all of this money would have been fleeing out of U.S. debt and into European debt, which unfortunately is worthless right now in part because of these southern peripheral countries, you know, Portugal, Italy, and well, Ireland is up in there too, but Greece and Spain. Um, the the big story of the past week or two weeks is was actually not Greece, it was Italy. I don't know if you if you recall that uh, bond traders started dumping the Italian debt, and and that really scared the crap out of everyone because all of a sudden you're moving into now to continental Europe, and it, it highlights the, lim- the the exposure that a lot of uh, that on, on the continent, it's not just now, you know, these, you know, what the perception of these lazy Greek workers and the, you know, who just want to sit in the sunshine and eat their olives and then collect, you know, retirement at 50 years old. It's, uh, it's that's now what into, I want to do. That's what we, but, you know, again, that's a, that's a German myth. Uh, the truth is that if you look at the OECD statistics, they all come out saying that the Greeks actually work more hours than the French and the Germans. They work longer days. They, so it's really this yeah, is a, a narrative better. of the, Yes, and you know, especially in August here in France, when you know everybody's working very hard. Um, but you really have a situation where we're sitting at the on the edge of a cliff right now in Europe, yeah. and and frankly, you know, Americans aren't paying attention to this, but this is something they should be paying attention to, because if Europe goes down, it's going to bring everybody with it. Bringing back the conversation to the Chinese, what we've talked about earlier is it's been the Chinese that have been keeping the euro stable by you know purchasing huge volumes of the currency in part they want to get away from their dependence on the US and they're shifting a lot of these investments into the euro and that's been a blessing for for Europeans again people here aren't even aware of that so this is the moment in the show where i i eat a big big chunk of that humble pie after my rant about the US uh where apparently it's not all that much better for us it's disastrous uh, here i mean yeah. there's no there's no way to sugarcoat it and french banks in particular you know, lent money like, you know, those mortgage dealers in the U.S. did. And they just like drunken sailors. They were giving money out to, to the pig economies, the French and German banks. So they're partially responsible for all of this. So basically what we sh- should all do is start to go and buy uh, canned goods and chocolate. <laughs> um, I will say it was impressive to see Italy respond much more nimbly Then the United States has responded, and granted, it was a more severe crisis. But uh, Italian politics is known for being very theatrical as well, and and they they stepped up to the plate in a way that the United States has yet to do. Well, they can have a much more adult conversation here in politics. You can have a conversation about the need to cut spending and raise taxes. That's a conversation that cannot happen in the United States in the current political climate. So in, in the UK, they're cutting spending and they're raising taxes. In Italy, same thing. And, and you just can't have that. And there's not this innate objection to paying taxes, in part because people here really enjoy the public services that they get. Um, we have great health care. We have free education. We have great public transportation. You do feel like you get what you pay for here, and there's not that sense in the United States. So when politicians come to us and say, we need you to pay more taxes – People don't really resist that much. I mean, we do resist a little bit, but... Yeah, but uh, nowhere near American levels. Yeah, I mean, there is a, definitely a sense of... Even in the case of Greece, I mean, you have a few people who will say, 
well, we don't need these kinds of countries in, in the EU then. You know, they, they, we don't want to pay for them. You have a few people and maybe a few uh, journalists who will put forth that argument. But overall, I think there is a sense of we're all in this together. And sure, the, the Greeks and, you know, all the, these other countries will have to be To, to make sacrifices, and when people go out in the streets and don't want to make these sacrifices in these countries, we're a little bit annoyed because we're paying through the nose for them. But overall, there's a sentiment of we're in this together, and things work out for whatever issues that we have. Life is still working out pretty well. We have, as Eric is saying, you know, free education, free healthcare. And when we look at other places, maybe, you know, um, the, the, the third world countries and, and, you know, to an extent the U.S. with the issues of uh, uh, public health care, we're willing to sacrifice quite a bit of our money in order to have peace of mind and, and, uh, and these kinds of uh, safety nets. So I, th maybe this is a reason why I don't find it as catastrophic. Um, as you're implying, Eric, maybe it's because I have these, again, we were talking about rose-colored glasses earlier, maybe I have this <coughs> this a, a symptom of, of rose-colored glasses in that case, too. I'm like, you know, it's it's dangerous, but, but ultimately it's going to work out. Uh, that's, maybe you know, it won't. I, I, you know what? I mean, I'm not a big fan of, of, of Sarkozy here in France, but on some of his numbers, I agree with him that you look at the, the, the amount of money going out to support the social benefits here in Europe and in France and the amount of money coming in, and they just don't add up. And, you know... We'll just you, raise the, got, the debt, you know, the ceiling debt. But you've got, you know, 25 and 30% unemployment among youth here. I mean, yeah. it's tragic. And, and so there, but again, a lot of people, and this is the problem in Paris, is that a lot of people who live in the city of Paris don't realize what's happening in the suburbs and in the rest of the country. That's true. Um, and that's a New York problem, and it's an L.A. problem as well. You know, there's a disconnect between the heartland and the cities. Canned goods, people. Canned, Canned goods. goods. You mean um, real France? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're from real France. Um, real Tur America. Turkey. Um, yeah, thoughts I'm just about enjoying, I'm enjoying you people talking about taxes. <laughs> <clears throat> Cute and quaint. Yeah, yeah, it's nice not to be paying any taxes. Just sit here and just listen to the poor people who pay taxes. It's all of our money going to pay for your public services through our gas tags. I yeah, mean, that's exactly. the way it is, you know. Yeah, sure. You pay your money, huh? At least I'm not paying it. <laughs> so, is that has that even been a, a, a blip on the radar, as someone was saying earlier, like uh, Greece and you know Italy and Spain and Ireland? Mm, uh, no, it's been a lot more quieter. The, the, yeah, there's been a little talk. It's been in the news a little, but nothing major. There's, uh, I think, there's too much more stuff for the Arab world to keep their eye on than. Uh, looking at Greece or yeah. anything, you got uh, all the problems in Syria, you got Libya, you got the, the pro financial problems within each country in Saudi Arabia, yeah. they have their own pro problems, the, every other Arab country has its own problems, so uh, I think the U.S. Uh, crisis is the, the one that everybody is keeping an eye on because that's what really affects uh, yeah. at least the Gulf states and Saudi Arabia specifically. 
So yeah, I guess I guess one of the things that one of the reasons why I, I have a little bit of a more it, it's not like I'm at ease, but it, it I feel like people like in Europe the political uh, leadership in Europe on the EU level is taking things seriously and doing what needs mm-hmm. to be done. You know, There's a much better conversation going on here. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's move on to something else again. Um, before we go into, uh, actually, we could talk about Libya and Syria and Egypt, and there there are important things happening there too. But uh, I'd much rather talk about uh, the issues in the Horn of Africa uh, at the moment, which have been discussed very heavily in the past, I would say, two or three weeks, with a, a terrible drought um, uh, a- happening there, and uh, obviously people um uh refugees having to flee their their um the the regions where where they live and going into camps where they can't um they don't have enough it's it's not even about money it, this this drought is affecting so many people that they there is no there are no resources uh to to help them and why the, why, why are you spending the western propaganda Patrick? I'm Why not sure, but I will be very happy f- f- to hear your propaganda instead of mine. No, that's not my propaganda. The, the Islamic youth movement, which is controlling Somalia, have been going out in public and claiming there's nothing wrong, and this is all Western propaganda, <laughs> and everything is fine in their country. Oh, in that sense. You know, that's interesting. I haven't, yeah. I haven't really heard that... Uh, that aspect of it. Certainly, we know that the the Islamic groups controlling what is it? Uh, oh, what's the name of the of the region in Somalia? Um, uh, mostly more south yeah. of. Uh, it's mostly yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, we we know that they are showing the south and so on. So. They're refusing to to let the um, humanitarian humanitarian uh, uh, organizations yeah. in uh, with help, uh, which I think it was on France. 24 actually which i heard about the the fact that um some of these militias are afraid that uh um um european operatives would sneak in with the uh, humanitarian uh, <laughs> aid organizations yeah i mean if only we cared enough i mean that's the that that's the really the highlight of the story is the fact that you know for about 10 million somalis you know their lives are going to end because you know they're governed and ruled by people who are just you know assholes to start with. And then at the end of the day, you know, the Americans and no Western government's going to intervene. We, you know, we have Hollywood movies now that are made about block Black Hawk Down from the last time we did that. And at the end of the day, um, most Americans and Europeans simply don't care. They feel like they've, they feel like they've seen this story before. Um, they gave a lot of money. You know, Bono's come back out again and trying to kind of get Band-Aid going again. You know, they're getting the band back together, no pun intended, but truly trying to get the band back together to raise money for for Somalia and East Africa and nobody cares you know we we've been you know we have one, we have the largest uh, french language you know facebook news page in the world and we posted up a poll saying is this an important story for you and is this an important issue for you and you'd be shocked at how few people actually said yes well uh, tell us uh, I, I don't have the specific numbers, but it was a clear majority that said the debt crisis in Europe, the, you know, the immigration in Europe, the debt crisis in the U.S. You know, you've got big political stories that are going on right now. 
that are that are far more important. People are just like, yeah, there's starvation in Africa. We've heard that before. Mm. So, and and the fact that the warlords themselves are partially responsible for not allowing the food to get in um, makes this, you know, this is a man-made story in many respects. The drought certainly isn't man-made, but at the end of the day, the ability to deliver the aid is a man-made story, and the sympathy goes down a lot for that. Is, yeah. is Oh, go ahead, Turkey. It's, it, it's been also uh, big news here. It's been covered heavily. Actually, there's a huge movement to collect donations and send money to Somalia for it. Uh, I think the king donated about 60 million reals uh, as his part of the effort. Is there a feeling that, I mean, maybe, you know, let, I'll ask you guys. Do you feel like it's your responsibility to help? Do you have a responsibility to help personally? And when I say personally, I say maybe as a, a, a part of your country's government and, and uh, uh, actions. Yeah, I, I, I believe that, that my government should be doing something to help solve the problem in concert with the rest of the United Nations. This is, this is exactly the kind of thing that the United Nations could be good at but isn't good at and Are they not? the fact of the no. matter is somalia is not a nation state and that 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 is a huge problem for people to wrap their heads around they're like well why why doesn't somalia get their act together why doesn't someone come in and and you know and and get rid of the rebels there aren't any rebels there's no there's no central government there's this this is this is a medieval like situation this is or, or even forget medieval this is this is an ancient situation you don't have a power structure you don't have a modern situation of government here and it's going to take a lot more than we have ever done to get that problem solved this isn't just oh we got to go in and, and remove a dictator or prop up a state or or call for free elections uh, you you have to re-engineer in my opinion hundreds of years of civilization back into this region um eric turkey i mean the united nations is not good at it our best you know we 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 impose our ideals on the united nations and we wish they were good at it they're really not and they're not good at dealing with these these nimble situations the world food program has struggled to deliver the aid they'll tell you through their own propaganda that it's not their fault but at the end of the day They're only as good as their member countries want them to be, and there just isn't a lot of interest in this right now. The other part of this is that contributions to the World Food Program and to the United Nations and to aid programs as a whole are being cut. Uh, DFID, which is the uh, British aid program, is being slashed across the European Union. They're cutting. So they're just, and you know, in the United States, you know, we're the stingiest country of the developed world. We give one one thousandth of our GNP to, to foreign aid. But yet, if you ask Americans what they should cut first, they say foreign aid. And they think that we give, you know, 10, 15% of our budget to it. So there's, again, we've been talking about disconnects this, uh, you know, this, this, this show, and, and there's a disconnect there too. So without that alignment, it's going to be very hard to do anything effective. Turkey? Uh, well, I'm going to be the evil guy in this situation. Uh, I think, personally, I think we should take care of our own people first. When we solve our own problems, then we can spend all the money we want on others. I think all money should be spent on your own people before you start spending it on others. If, uh, if an individual donates, that's another situation. You're donating and you're helping, then that's your right. But for the government to go and spend the, go the people, the, uh, people, the uh, people's money, 
on other people is just not the way to do it. That's a potentially Turkey is a good short- American. <laughs> yeah, he's a good American, and it's a very potentially very short-sighted way of looking at things because if you ignore these people, they can quickly become your problem. And, and that's what we learned in Afghanistan. And I think if that mentality was in place after World War II, which, you know, there was a nativist streak in the United States for a long time. We have a long isolationist history of saying, you know what, let the Europeans, it's not anything to do with us. Um, it helps us more than it helps them, in part because by rebuilding Europe, we were able to sell and we were able to, to profit more. So while that's what you're saying, Turkey is absolutely right, and that's what most people around the world think, it could potentially be very short-sighted. But there is, yeah, you but know, I, I think I think it's enough that there's individuals who are donating. The charities who are collecting a lot of money right now just from individuals. Why should the, when we have people who are poor, people who are dying of hunger, or people who are below the poor rate and so on, why should we go and give other people? Let's solve our problems before we turn to helping others. Well, I guess there is a um, a. a bigger uh, question here how do you actually go out and solve it because sure we can we can go and send uh food but that's not going to be enough because it's being blocked but then do you do you actually send troops to help distribute the food and reorganize the the country well then you're going to have people who say you shouldn't intervene and you should let the people come to democracy by themselves what is okay maybe that's not the case in in these uh in these countries but is the way china uh is doing it the right one should we invest just massively invest in these countries and make them you know basically our our factories uh that's you know making it our factories is a is an oversimplification of it sure way, yeah the, you know what we do know is that the West has spent a trillion dollars in Africa in the past 25 to 30 years to very little effect, that most of the indicators of human health have not gone up. So we know that, you know, just pumping in lots of money doesn't solve the problem. In Somalia, there's you, you can divide the crisis into two parts. One is this humanitarian crisis that's present right now, which is just to stop the hunger. Um, and then there's another set, which is building, as Tom pointed out, to actually a country. We don't have any type of institutions or any type of governance. Um, that's a destabilizing force for all of East Africa. Um, and that is, that's a problem. Now, going back to, you know, depending on individuals to give money, the problem with that is that individuals will give money for lots of different reasons, but oftentimes it's not for the most important reasons. Malaria is one of the biggest killers in the world. It's not a sexy topic. It's not like breast cancer or AIDS or any of these others. Very difficult to raise money for simple $50 nets. Um, individuals don't give money to those types of things. So what kills more people and destabilizes societies and ultimately upsets the balance of power in many parts of the world can be something very, very simple that individuals by themselves can't solve. All right. Um, I guess we could talk, as I often say, very uh, a, a lot more about this, but we shall now move on to maybe local stories. I don't know if you guys have more local stories um, that you want to discuss. We sort of addressed a little bit of... Uh, of the U.S. here. Um, do, do you guys have something you want to talk about before we wrap the show up? Turkey, I, I actually would be interested in hearing about this uh, driving uh, issue, women driving issue, which we it's mentioned dead. a few times, but you, it it's might dead. have evolved. Yeah, go ahead. It's dead. It's dead. So it's dead. Yeah. Really? 
So yeah. women are not going to get the right to drive, and uh, no, that's finished. And, the discussion and, and, is over, and, and and the whole discussion has almost gone very, very dead. So it's uh, there's still discussion, but it's not as uh, it was as a huge movement. It's uh, people have forgot, most people forgot or ignoring, and so on. I told you that this would have been this uh, problem as soon as they turned for international help. That killed mm. the entire attitude toward this movement. So uh, when Hillary Clinton supported, when uh, Congress started interfering and demanding and uh, all of these people and demonstrations, that's really hurt the entire movement. And it's mm. officially now mostly dead. So uh, because, of, because it was seen as the, the, the uh, foreigners are telling us what to do, just shut the hell up. We don't exactly. want to hear about it. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So that's the uh, situation right now. Uh, other than that, I think the only other local news right now is uh, the biggest news is Ramadan. I'm sorry? Oh, no, Ramadan, okay. Ramadan is on Monday, after tomorrow. And so you're going to start not eating forever now? Yep. From sunrise till sunset. No food, no water. So... You. This is possibly the worst time to have Ramadan. It's the 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 longest days. Uh, mm, yeah, but it's not that big of a deal as the longest day in Saudi. It's more about the heat. <laughs> yeah. So, do, do you have people who? I'm just a very curious. Uh, do you have people who cheat? Like who? <laughs> definitely, definitely <laughs> everywhere. There's people who cheat everywhere. Okay, there's, so it's not uncommon different. to have a guy, you know, sneak out to have a a drink of water or something, but but yeah. you, they don't do it but, in public, right? Uh, unless they want to be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, drinking or eating in public is, or smoking is completely forbidden during Ramadan during daytime. Ooh, smoking also? Yes. Wow. So, so no smoking, no drinking, no uh, eating as soon as long as the sun is out. Okay. And, and so it's of course by jail, anybody and all restaurants are closed until about sunset. So you of course never cheat. You are talking about other people. No, I, I enjoy it actually. I think it's uh, uh, it's in a way it, it helps you to clear your body out of all the bad stuff you have. It's, it's, it's really healthy if you do it right. But then you uh, eat all the crap right. at night. No, that's why I emphasize if you do it right. Ah. I What's, emphasize that word. You mean that well, you only eat healthy stuff at night too? Yeah, you don't overeat. That's the problem. Many people gain weight during Ramadan instead of losing. Because they keep go hungry all day and suddenly they eat all of this crap like what they would have eaten in two days. They will eat it in one night. Mm, I'm hungry so, now. Yeah, so so that's one thing. Uh, Ramadan is also there's a lot of people who don't understand that when they're not fasting, they're supposed to drink a lot of liquids, a lot of water, to help their kidneys to work after being dry all day. And some people don't do that, and that's really also makes it a problem. Hmm. So if you do it all, if you do this entire system right, uh, it's the hunger it doesn't really bother you that much, and you should be okay with it, and it really helps you. Uh, you mentally and physically. Okay, sounds good. I won't do it, but uh, sure, why not? <laughs> um, Tom, is there anything like super lighthearted and cool coming out of the U.S., uh, maybe of California, or are you going to tell us about a horrible story 
Well, uh, the biggest if, news if in them. the in the U.S. generally was the end of the NFL lockout for the National Football League. So there will be football. What is that? Uh, in, <laughs> well, the owners, the owners and the players had a dispute over collective bargaining. Uh, it's really the only labor issues that get covered in the United States is when <laughs> sports, when athletes go on strike or get locked out by the owners. Uh, so that's, that was actually dominating the headlines more than the debt crisis, to be honest. Really? And, uh, and people are, are enthusiastic now that we will have American football in the fall. So that's, I, honestly, that's more people talking about that than anything. Uh, there was also Carmageddon down in L.A., I don't know if you heard about that. I heard about that on on, uh, Tech News Today, yes. They uh, shut down one of the main freeways, the 405, and there was all of this hype beforehand and and government outreach telling people to stay off the highways, and it was going to be horrible because they wouldn't be able to be on the highway, so it was going to crowd all the the arteries that go from one end of L.A. to another. It turned out nobody drove. It was the (laughs) – all the people I know in L.A. that I've talked to, like, it was the best weekend ever. If you actually did have to go somewhere – there was no traffic. Uh, Tom, and- Tom, Tom, you'll love this in Europe. They said the closure of the 405 freeway in Los Angeles. That's what the, uh, the Europeans were referring to it. Well, at least the- they used the, which is an L.A., you they know. They did, but the 405 freeway was closed. The 405th freeway. It sounds like a, an infantry group. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, and the one local story that I'm actually interested here in the Bay Area, well, actually, a California story, uh, there was a commission established by the voters to independently create the legislative district. So this goes back to what we were talking to earlier about the gerrymandering. Uh, This independent uh, panel has several Democrats, several Republicans, several independents. It's 14 members, and it's supposed to come to a decision that has to have three of each type, three independents, three Republicans, and three Democrats agree on the map. So they've agreed. Uh, on Friday, they put out the new map uh, with an independently created district. It's supposed to be, you know, based not on politics, you know, but on on what is best for the state. And of course, immediately as soon as it was as was put out, it was determined that it probably would end up benefiting the Democrats just because of the way it was created. Uh, it was going to benefit somebody, no matter what they did. Mm-hmm. And so, the one of the Republicans uh, voted against the uh, state assembly redistricting two of the republicans voted against the congressional uh, u.s representative redistricting and republicans are already talking about suing to prevent the map from being implemented okay um is there is there is this just business as usual or oh, yeah. is no, there if this, if this map had come out and benefited the republicans you would have had exactly the the same reaction from the democrats I right mean, it, i was this, no. it's 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 sports for them it's they don't mm. care about actually helping the country they care about winning no what i was asking was you know we've we've had uh in history in general in all countries we have you know since world war ii we've had a pretty stable uh, situation in in North America and Europe, but it seems like the the things are are going gradually becoming a little bit worse. And I know that everyone always says, you know, it's getting worse, it's getting worse, and years go by and things just keep working fine, and it's just the way it is. So, in general, is this just the way it is, or are things actually getting? problematic and can in the u.s can people not get uh, in any kind of agreement to the point where at some point there's going to need to be a revolution in europe are we 
wasting so much money? Are we living so much above our needs that at some point we're not going to be able to pay for what we want and just need to start from scratch and maybe need a, a war or a revolution to do a purge and start again, you know, from a, a more healthy uh, uh, foundation? It, I, I'm not, yeah. you know... It's all it's all cyclical, in my opinion. And and if you only look back to World War II, you get a skewed view, uh, especially in the United States, where we benefited greatly from having no war fought on our soil uh, and the ability to re- help rebuild Europe uh, and Japan and China uh, and make a ton of money and get a lot of people moving here, a lot of, of, of brain drain. And and that has expired now. You know, the United States is back to being on equal footing with the rest of the world. We're not the beneficiary of World War II anymore. And it, but if you look, go back to the 1800s, we had much worse political problems and and scandals in, in the United States. And if you you know you go back to the 1600s and 1700s, uh, things were horrible in Europe. Uh, not not a single country trusted each other. It, it, the idea of a single currency in Europe would have been absolutely ridiculous and unimaginable well it, it would so been... i you know overall things are getting better but they go in cycles and will we need a revolution mm. you know maybe yeah will it be a, a glorious revolution a bloodless revolution or a bloody one hard to say i i like to think that we have progressed to the point where it would be a largely bloodless revolution uh that that changes things but you know that we may yeah. not have we may not have grown as a as as a species out of that yet who knows yeah. Yeah, I guess that was my point. You know, things were much worse in, you know, if you look back a couple of centuries, but you did have these cyclical purges every once in a while where basically you had to kill a certain percentage of the population through war or whatever. And World War II was just the last one of these huge crises that that spawned a, a, a spark in the economy and, and spending and and working that gave a... Gave a, a, a healthy foundation for the world to build on, including on the political scene, because it really seems like, ah, I don't know, I'm just, you know, thinking. Well, and our reaction to war was much different in the 50s Mm. uh, than, you know, after just having been through one than it is now where, you know, war is very, very distant for most people, Uh, you know, not for everyone, obviously, but but in the United States, it's 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 something that other people generally go do yeah. on faraway lands. Not not something like World War II where most people were affected by it. Maybe we should just build giant robots, let them do the warring for us, put all our money in them, and uh, then decide who wins and uh, start from scratch from there. Which is kind of what we're doing with all our drone programs, frankly. I get, and with all our, our economies going down the drain, it's sort of a way, yeah, maybe not. All right. Can't we uh, just do it on Warcraft? Yeah, uh, I said, couldn't we just do it on Warcraft? Ah, that would be a, 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 an interesting idea. It would. Well, the be Koreans would want it though. to be Starcraft, and then we'd already have that. <laughs> Patrick, let me just go let ahead, Lighten up our, uh, before we go. Just lighten up the subject because it's been gloom and doom for a lot of this conversation. It but usually is. Yes. The uh, the tourism minister here in France, uh, Frédéric Lebrev. He is concerned right now. And, you know, Paris is the world's number one tourist destination of, you know, 70 million people come here. But he's concerned about the reputation of the Parisians as being, shall I say, rude. Uh, and so they've actually launched a whole new website and a marketing campaign to dispel the idea that the French and Parisians are rude. 
And it's called rendezvous en France.com. And it's trying to tell Americans and the rest of the world that Parisians aren't quite as mean and nasty as the, as they're told to be. Not the, the pepe de pu type of, uh, of reputation is not deserved. And they're also trying to get people to kind of go into the countryside and see the rest of France. So rendezvous en France.com uh, is, uh, is the new initiative from the tourism minister here to kind of rebrand France Incorporated. So they're trying to spread rumors and lies. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yes. I, I will. I will admit, um, you know, maybe somewhat undermining the the work of this uh, this uh, wonderful website. There's a lot of, let's say, less than stellar customer service in French businesses in general. There is no customer service. <laughs> I mean, it, getting yelled at by a waiter in a in a bistro or a cafe is part of the experience. That's it is what you part get. of the experience. And well, so how you, dare oh, you be so presumptuous to be a consumer? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how dare you want to give me your money for something that I do for you? So how how is the Paris economy being affected with the ban on the burger? Oh, the burqa has no effect on it whatsoever because it was really just cynical yeah. politics at the end of the day that, you know, only 3,000 women in France actually wear the niqab. So. No, no, I'm talking about the tourism. Uh, the tourism. The tourists. Yeah, there's a lot of tourists who wear niqab. You know, what, you know what they're doing is that you're seeing, you know, the Saudi women, they come on to Champs-Élysées and they go into Louis Vuitton and they, uh, you know, they put on big sunglasses and they cover themselves up in other more subtle ways but without having to wear a niqab. You know, those, yeah, London is benefiting from that ban also. It, it might be. It might be. Uh, awesome. But Louis Vuitton here has been opening after hours for the Saudis. So they've been going in after dark in, in, you know, for private shopping experiences. So there's other ways. of. I'm sure the French will take your credit cards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's always way for you to give us your money, even though. And in, in, in Louis Vuitton, I'm sure you get a... a, a Above average uh, customer service experience. You know, yeah. it's it's much better than it is in in other. And I hope so for the amount we're paying them. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. Um, Eric, can you, do you have anything you know to tell us about China? Because we never really get people from uh, with knowledge of that region. It, how is China doing in this whole uh, m um, mood of of? doom and gloom that we were mentioning earlier. No, they don't have a, a sense of doom and gloom the same way that's in the West. What, what The story to watch right now is this train crash story, and right. in part because it is really highlights the power of the Chinese web. And, and again, this is something that's difficult. You know, I listen to TNT every day, and I listen to Twitter every week, and I listen to, you know, all the various podcasts, and there isn't this sense of awareness in the, China, in the, in the U.S. kind of tech media of just how truly huge the Chinese web has become. So the, the mobile, uh, the microblogging has really had an amazing effect on this story. Four minutes after the train crash. Uh, can, can you tell us about the story itself? Because I'm well, not sure everyone the knows. Story, sure. So uh, last week, uh, two high-speed trains, uh, this is these part of China's brand new, they're building 12,000 miles of high-speed train. Now, in the context of where Tom is in California, we're trying to build, as, as Californians, a 600-mile and it's taking, you know, between Sacramento yeah. and San Diego, and it's taking, you know, 10, 15 years, if that, if we'll ever see it. The Chinese are building 12,000 12, miles, a half a trillion dollars, four to five hundred billion dollars. Uh, it's been this incredible initiative. It's probably one of the largest public financing programs ever in human history. And it's been going really fast. Now, what ended up happening was last week, 
in Wenzhou in eastern China, uh, two trains missed a signal and they went smack into each other. And uh, right now, 40 people dead. And the government's reaction was less than stellar. Now, what's usually the government's had <clears throat> has been able to control the narratives on these things. Excuse me, I'm coughing here. I'm going to go <laughs> Are you oh, sorry about some... that? Just got into a loop. Uh, and so uh, the Chinese censors are really effective. So, uh, and what's in four minutes after that crash, the first tweets went up. And they're not tweets because they're banned in China. It's on the, the microblogs went up. And they were just con- consistently it, pounding the official narrative coming out. We've had 26 million microblogs put up. There's 340 do, million. Do you want to go get a glass of water maybe? No, I'm, if you... I'm hanging in there. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, but they've had three. They have three hundred and forty million microbloggers in in China, which is just massive on two different companies, Tencent and Sino Weibo. And and really, this has been an incredible story to see how the Chinese government has been responding to the pressure coming from microbloggers. Uh, but it, aren't they aren't they being watched or watched? Sorry, and, they, and censored. Well, they are. The censorship can't keep up. You know, most of the censorship that happens on the Chinese web is not you know men with red pens who sit around looking through emails. It's done very Google esque. You know, these are bots that are out there, and the language of the bots can't change fast enough to uh, accommodate the situation. People are evolving their language very quickly to circumvent the the bots and their mm, the filters. The filters, if you will. So why are these services even allowed if, if you know, from the way I see it, if they're banning Twitter, why wouldn't they be banning other services too? They, they don't. It's, they're banning Twitter because they can't control Twitter. So what mm. they, they're able to have a very close relationship with the companies who, who make them. And, and these, these services provide very useful uh, kind of pressure valves that the Chinese government uses to release steam. And, and, and this is, allows people to express themselves. And they've been incredibly sophisticated and effective at containing the dissent on the Chinese web. But they haven't been able to do it entirely. And what you're seeing in this, you know, in this train crash is the kind of cross-section of lots of different societal issues coming together mixed with a really connected population now. Uh, and that is proving to be very difficult for the government to manage. This is a, a case where... Um, again, if you understand Chinese microblogging and kind of the power of the web, um, it's it's fascinating to watch. So, do you think this is actually good? I mean, they were challenging the the government's narrative, saying everything's fine. These okay. trains, you know, didn't really crash, or what no, was the no, deal no. there? That the government says things are in control. So, hmm. first of all, this was, and and people are saying it's not being in control. They're trying to cover things up. They fired top railway people. They and and they didn't fire enough. And the people were saying this isn't going far enough. More importantly, they've set up a commission to look into it, but yet they put people who were from the railway ministry involved in prior crashes. And so the people said, this is not mm. responsible. Bloggers came out and said, you know, why isn't the prime minister coming down here? The prime minister's office said, you know, he hasn't been feeling well. Prime Minister Wen Jiabao, who's really the kind of consoler in chief in China, he goes out and very effectively kind of, you know, he's called Grandpa Wen and hugs people in front of the cameras. And, uh, and he wasn't there. And he was saying he didn't feel well. Then bloggers came out and found the pictures last week of him with Cameroonian President Paul Bia and him, you know, cutting ribbons here and there. So, again, this is a real check on power that we haven't seen on the scale and speed and scope that is, is really unprecedented, in part because the Chinese web now is just so huge. You know, you're looking at 
425 million people online, which is, again, it's the world's largest web population, and it's doing things we didn't anticipate. Interesting. Well, maybe the Internet is indeed the voice of the people in even in uh, in these types of... Uh, it is. It's a really interesting test case mm-hmm. for what is just the nature of the Internet. Uh, but, you know, in a, in, a, in a situation where the government is the opposite of, of where it is in, in, in the Western world, in that it's trying to control it as much as possible. Yeah. it's. I really wouldn't have expected to see that kind of trend come out of china i mean with all the with everything we're we're hearing about china and and their approach to the internet um i'm actually very surprised that this they that the internet can become a, a way for for the people to not just express themselves but actually have uh, apply pressure on on the government so. no the internet's been for for many years now has been a really active and dynamic place ai weiwei who of course is this artistic dissident uh you know he's been using twitter using proxy networks in you know to get around the censorship but using twitter uh han han is another huge blogger Uh, out of Shanghai, who's also a Formula One race car driver. He's been, you know, very active in, in kind of criticizing. You just can't criticize the same way we do, which is in those direct terms. But there's a very vibrant web dissent movement in China that's able to live within the restrictions. Um, and then, again, within the microblogging community, it, which is, you know, it's hard to call 340 million people a community. I mean, that's, you know, bigger than the population of the United States. Um, you just have a scale, which is, which is incredible. That said, you know, I don't go as far. I'm, I'm a disciple of Evgeny Morozov, who wrote The Net Delusion, which is, you know, this idea that the web can be a tool for democracy and tool for openness. It can equally be a tool for suppression, and that's what we've also seen in China as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little bit of both. How many uh, microblogging accounts in Three, China? 340 million. So that's seven times Twitter. Yeah, I mean, and growing fast, too. Mm. I mean, they're not even near their capacity yet, which is really quite amazing. Is that a case of, uh, and I'll be very brief because we have to sign off soon, um, is that a case of they're using them on their cell phones, so it's one of the main ways they're connecting to the Internet, or do they all have computers? No, there's a lot of access on computers, a lot of access. You know, 3G networks are, are rolling out across China, and mm. uh, it's just really the size of the population that, and, and, and the connectedness to it. Um, their bandwidth has just skyrocketed up, and well, uh, you that's know. that's a th- over uh, you know almost a third of the population. It's a huge percentage because in in even in in you know our countries that are way more connected, you don't see that these numbers at all. So you're about half the population of China now is on the is on is online. So you're at about 500 million people, 425 to online. Five. Yes, but I'm I'm talking about the uh, the Twitter equivalents. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very large adoption rate. It's, it's huge. I'm surprised. It's huge. All right. Um, okay. Thank you very much, everyone, for uh, joining me on this show. We will be back, of course, in a month. Uh, before that, though, you can follow all of our wonderful hosts uh, in their daily musings. And we'll start with Eric. Please, can you tell us where we can find you? Sure. Uh, my China tweets are at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And my tech tweets for on tech news, global tech news, is at Eric, E-R-I-C-F-24. Oh, I'm not following you on, on uh, Eric F-24. Well, there you go. 
I'm going to do that right now. Thanks a lot for being here, uh, Eric. It's really, it's really nice to have your uh, input on things and to have a, a largely professional uh, gentleman <laughs> correct us when we say things, uh, silly things. It's been great. Me. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Turkey, people know where they can find you, but please say it again. It's at twitter.com slash Saudi. Excellent. Concise, <laughs> precise, beautiful. That's what I like. Uh, Tom, what about you? Uh, I have an absolutely ridiculous Twitter name. Uh, so if you just go to twitter.com slash Tom Merritt and look at the posts, it'll tell you how to spell my actual Twitter name that I use. <laughs> and, of course, uh, Tom is hosting uh, TNT every day out of the new, uh, newly completed Tweet Twit Brick House. Uh, congratulations! Yeah, thanks for uh, helping us test out that was this week. I I didn't uh, I didn't tell you that, but um, I told Jason actually when I first tested this new uh, video system, I didn't realize that when you click on the invite, you're actually broadcasting to the studio. Now you're you're not live, of course, but you're you know people at the receiving end on the studio can see you, and I wasn't let's say completely clothed when I clicked <laughs> on it. Uh, and, and I didn't see, thank goodness, but I heard. <laughs> NSFW, okay. NSFW. So yeah, I was I was very surprised to see um, uh, all of you guys. It was the live uh, portion of the feed, and and I has turned his head just as I came. You know, I saw the screen, so I thought, oh my god, is he seeing me? And then I, you know, hoped he would because. Um, Never mind. All right. Let's You're move on. You're an engaged on. man. <laughs> I am. Um, and so, yes, we will be back. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I have a friend who's coming over, and I'm getting very confused at the moment because we have to finish the show. But I still want to tell everyone listening, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, sorry again for not being here uh, last month, but I'm sure we will be back next month with another uh, set of very interesting hosts. If you want to let us know how you feel about this show and correct us for being too liberal or just too silly, please do so by coming on the uh, article of the blog at thephiliusclub.com and please let us know how you feel about these topics and more. If you want us to um, talk about other things in the future, you can also let us know that over there. We'll be back in a month. Thank you very much for listening and talk to you soon. Bye.